Thais. Podcasts. A Frontier. These are the voyages of the podcast Captain Slug. It's ongoing mission to explore strange new episodes, to seek out new jokes and new references, to split infinitives that no one has split before. Uh, Captain Slog, Stardate 80. Yeah, we lost another episode. Uh, it doesn't matter. There was Tasha's sister and rape gangs. You can imagine what joy we made with that. Yeah, anyway, a, uh, a lot of I, it was just, is that <laughs> Linda Hamilton? No. <laughs> yeah, and we complimented her on a jumpsuit, which might be the first time that any fashion in Star Trek Next Generation has actually made anyone look good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm Eddie. Mark's here. Hello. Uh, Mark, are you, how are you doing? Do you want to repeat your tax shenanigans or carry on with a different rant? No, it wasn't a very good story. <laughs> uh, carry on with a different rant. Um, do, do you know how um, when you go into um, supermarkets and yep. and you go to and you and you're a good boy, so you go to the person rather than the self checkout because on on the one hand you're like if I was this person doing the work, I, I, I would want the people to go to the self-checkout because then I don't have to interact with them in any way. But the, you know, the, the fundamental, the system, the systemic problem that comes from that is, is if everyone uses the self-checkout, eventually those people are going to get fewer and, and fewer hours and then, and then they'll be out of a job. So, so, you know, you, you make the painful decision to, to go and speak to them and uh, they put the, they, they beep the things through. And then you've all seen this, right? You've all been in a supermarket. You know how where the cashier is and where the scanny thing is, and then there's a sort of downwards slope to a sort of large basin where your shopping collects so that you can then bag it. Yeah. Uh, I have a conspiracy theory that supermarkets have been making the the slope uh, less slidey. <laughs> Uh, can I ask what I have to ask with every conspiracy theory? Why? To, to what end? <laughs> yeah, what end? What? What is the the what is the benefit to the supermarkets to make, of having the less slidey? Because rap? if they can, no. if they can find a way to make you more frustrated with cashiers, then oh. you'll just go to the self checkout. But not even frustrated in a way that anyone can help. Do you know what I mean? I mean, arguably the cashier could do the could do a little bit more to help it down the slope, but. You know, I'm not going to tell anyone how to do their job. <laughs> is 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 that? Would you say is that the lowest stakes conspiracy theory you believe in? Uh, not not if you work for Tesco. <laughs> uh, my low stakes conspiracy theory. I believe that the only explanation for how the carpet industry works mm-hmm. is that they are shipping drugs inside the tubes of carpets. That is why <laughs> every carpet shop is always closed. <laughs> <laughs> and and looks like it's never been opened and yet remains a carpet shop for years uh, only ever unlocking its doors to let a circus put up a poster for some reason yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> which is a shame right because I'm not a very good salesman uh, it's why I've never been a successful comedian because 
<laughs> I I can't think of any reason why anyone should come to see me do anything, right? <laughs> and I'll tell you that as I'm trying to like don't come in case it's bad because then that reflects badly on me. I'd rather you weren't there. Uh, is how I sell my shows, right? And then um but sure but surely carpet selling is the easiest job in the world because you, it's just do you want this color or do you want this color? Well, That's the it. thing is, you don't even need to. I've I had to buy carpet, so the carpet person doesn't even need to ask you any questions because you, first of all, you don't get a carpet on a whim. No, you need a carpet. So you go in into a shop to get a carpet. You're going to choose the one that you think looks the best, and you can feel the samples. Yeah. So you know, and they've got the price there. There's no need for a human being at any point in that interaction. Yeah. And then you go, we'd like to buy some carpet. And they go, oh, you can have it in a month. And then you fuck off around the corners of the discount place and they can do it within a week. Yeah. That's how buying a carpet works. Uh... <laughs> one, of, one of the reasons that my parents, again, when I was a little boy, should have been like, um, this guy has real stimulus issues. Uh, he seems to enjoy touching things in bizarre ways. Uh, is that the carpet sample book, I used to really enjoy hugging it uh, with my face. And just rubbing <laughs> my face on the fresh carpet. <laughs> used to have a really nice smell as well right fresh okay. fresh carpet and petrol I think are my two favourite smells <laughs> I think you've just you've worked out why new car smell is so good because it's both uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sinn Féin are in charge uh, in uh, the north of Ireland again so petrol will be making, oh, making I, a I, comeback I thought, I thought you were going to say of carpets <laughs> <laughs> It's, it works like a normal carpet, except it won't let English people walk all over it. Uh, do you think that? Do you think that that only happened though because someone came up to Jerry Adams and said, "Do you want to be in charge of carpet?" And he immediately said yes, because Jerry Adams famously <laughs> doesn't let people finish the last word in a sentence. So he thought it was he thought it was carpet bombing. Um, have, have Have you ever watched the movie The Foreigner, um, in which Jackie Chan's daughter is murdered by the IRA <laughs> and um, uh, the leader of the IRA that Jackie Chan goes after is played by Piers Brosnan uh-huh. and um, it the, move, the the character's name on the credits might as well be, it's definitely not Jerry Adams, yeah. wink wink because <laughs> it's the most spot on Jer- it's probably the most faithful adaptation of Jerry Adams as a character that any screen has seen, including <laughs> the news, bearing in mind they used to have to dub over his voice. <laughs> um, what's, uh, what's the IRA's beef uh, with um, Jackie Chan's daughter? Uh, no, she just happens to be in a place that they were bombing. Um, and to be fair, I, I'm not I'm not too certain on how... So the book, the, the movie The Foreigner yeah. is, is an adaptation of a book. Yeah. And the movie comes across as slightly racist. Yeah. And then at the end, it says, based on the book, The Chinaman. Uh, (laughs) I was like, oh, so they probably toned that down quite a bit. Um, But yeah, it's basically the IRA accidentally kill the daughter of a a kung fu and improvised weapons master um, with immense circus training. You know, the weird set of skills that only characters portrayed by Jackie Chan ever have. Yes. Um, Because... Jackie Chan isn't a martial artist. He's a trained circus performer and stuntman. It's a weird set of skills that he has. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it'd be it'd be like finding out that Bernard Manning was really good at hand-to-hand combat. 
specifically against anyone who wasn't white. And do you know what? <laughs> to all the to all the Manning heads who are listening to this, going to go and complain about me to 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 to, to Big Daddy Joe Rogan. I'll tell you right now, Bernard Manning himself said he was a racist. Yep. Yeah. 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 And that was so, because people of color kept kidnapping his kids. <laughs> I've got, I've got That's nothing. It. I've got nothing. The movie The Foreigner was actually based on. See the, <laughs> the thing is, you didn't read the book The Chinaman, but it was actually written by uh, Bernard Manning um, <laughs> about his own lived experiences. As, as Jackie Chan. As Jackie Chan, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because the thing is, right, a lot of people nowadays are like, "Well, we should just cancel Bernard Manning," but really, they haven't really looked into it. Do you know what I mean? Like, they, 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 you need to get inside his head to really understand his motives. A lot of people don't realise Bernard Manning spent a lot of his life as Jackie Chan. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is why you've never seen Bernard Manning and Jackie Chan in the same room together. Yeah. Um. <laughs> um, the uh, it, look, I, 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 I think maybe the reason why I haven't bothered getting round to the foreigner is that um, I think if I think if the IRA blew up one of my kids, even as collateral damage, I'd be like, nah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, if you haven't been listening to this for a, this podcast for a long time, uh, uh, we hate monetization. Uh, so we are <laughs> <laughs> we are. Uh, this is a decidedly pro IRA Star Trek podcast. <laughs> oh, last, you... oh, last week was the was the episode where Data isn't that the one where Data says he's in the Ra? Um, was that last week? I think it, I think so, I think something about yeah. where I got mentioned. It wasn't last week. We'd, we've had the Irish unification. Oh, we have episode. had that. Right, okay. We've mentioned yeah. it. We've spoken about it. That's this year. This, this, yeah. So long as we can keep Jackie Chan out of the way. Look, hey, and a minute. Look, all I'm gonna say is, we everything that's been going on with Brexit has been looking more and more likely. And as you said before, Sinn Fein back in Northern Ireland. Here we go, lads. It's <laughs> way to the races. Aye. Um, but anyway. We should talk about this episode of Star Trek, because this is a great episode of Star Trek. Yes. This is the episode of Star Trek in which Wesley gets a promotion from being everybody's least popular Star Trek character, because it's the first appearance of fucking Alexander. Right. Uh, <laughs> I don't know much about Alexander. Um, I'm I'm much like Worf in that respect. <laughs> uh, I didn't know he was coming, uh, and... Uh, I'm disappointed that uh, his mother died and not him. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're not wrong. Um, yeah. uh, uh, Alexander is a. It's the, that problem of you when you cast an actor to play a child that young, yeah, and then you stubbornly stick with that actor even when they prove they can't act. Yeah, um, that's the problem. Uh, he's a nasty kid, but also I want to I want to share some fucking maths I've done. Yep. With you. Please do. That's uh, that's got me as well, yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh Kayla is in this episode and it turns out she's she's had a kid and it's Wolf's. Yeah. Sexy, sexy Kayla, the woman who first made me fancy Klingons. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. turns up and she's got a, a son who is so she's half Klingon, so the son's three quarters Klingon. Um she last appeared in season two, episode twenty which aired on June 26th, 1989. Yeah. This episode of Star Trek, season four, episode seven, aired on November 5th, 1990. Yeah. That is 495 days, or to put that in other terms, one year and 4.4 months. 
Now, yeah, I've Googled how long Klingon pregnancy is. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, it's 30 weeks. Mm-hmm. So that's 210 days gone. So mm-hmm. this child is apparently 287 days old. Right. Less than a year. 9.5 months. Yeah. I, I, no. Is that why he's so uh, whiny? <laughs> He's a, I, I think we should point out he's a clearly a, maybe a four or five, like a, a two or three year old. Yeah. Like, do Klingons age faster? Or is there this, does this just speak to how much stuff the Enterprise does that we don't see? I think what <laughs> happened is that uh, they were in the writer's room and someone brought this up, probably Ronald D. Moore. He's quite clever, right? He knows his maths. Yeah. He's like, uh, how, how many galactic, how many battle stars are there and someone went seven and he went that's too many blow up six of them (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) and so he went he went um, he says right so so even if we so he googled it he done he done the um, the early the late 80s version of googling which was he opened his window and he shouted does anyone know how long a Klingon pregnancy is uh, and a homeless man shouted, oh, so about 30 weeks. Um, and he then verified that with another homeless guy. Uh, and uh, he turns out pretty on the money. So the, the second guy was a little bit more precise, but it, it doesn't matter, right? So, yeah, he was like, right, so this baby's going to be about a year old. So he originally pitched this whole episode as... Um, uh, K- uh, K- what was her name? Kaylar? Kaylar, yeah. Kaylar, right. She comes on board. Uh-oh. She has a baby, um, and it's in just a um, just a just we don't, we're not even going to Star Trek it up. It's just a modern day baby car seat, right? Okay, uh, and uh, and and a papoose, um, and the rest of the episode she dies quite quickly, right? Uh, and the rest of the episode is just Worf having to deal with uh, his standard Enterprise bridge duties, but also with a baby, uh, and the and 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 Michael Pillar, and it's, it tells you this on Memory Alpha. Michael Pillar specifically fought against that idea because he is allergic to good ideas. <laughs> I I reckon they give it, him got all, it got all through production with the idea of them having a baby. Aye. And then finally, so they get to like the first day of like pre-production and they're like, okay, so we just need to glue some forehead bumps onto Aye. a baby. And they're like, oh, you can't, you can't do that. Yeah. Like what? He goes, yeah, it's union. You're not allowed to glue things on a baby. Ever. It, all, uh, <laughs> it also massively affects the the plot and the uh, the kind of emotional impact of the episode because I can tell you from experience, you can tell a baby to look at a dead body all you want, but it doesn't give a shit. <laughs> if you leave a baby alone with a dead body long enough, it will eat its face, yeah. much like a cat. Um, that's so- that's a that's a horrible misunderstanding. That's a misconception. Um, traditionally, it's dogs. Who, oh right! Who, okay. who, who eat you? Um, the cat. The cat will just take care of the baby. Um, <laughs> so uh, how, how do you mean take care of? As a euphemism? No. Look, I, as a as an avowed um, uh, opponent of big dog, um, ev- everything you know about dogs. Is that big dog or, or big dogs? Big dog, as in the <laughs> as in the the, the, the globalised force of dogs who are trying to convince us people that they're all actually all right. Uh, yeah. When in reality, they they kill a lot of primary school kids, right? So 
it's uh, it's uh, it's not it's not good. Uh, and they keep trying to tell you, oh, your dog's your best friend, and then, and then dog will eat when you when you're dead. Cat, beautiful maternal instincts. Cats, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, yeah. So what we're saying is, this episode would have been better if Kayla had turned up with a cat. Yeah, uh, but a cat that um, <laughs> that she's yeah that that wharf. Uh, Fathered. Yeah. (laughs) I like the fact that Wolf uh, basically immediately clocks that this is his child. Um, And later on in the episode, he says to Kayla, must I ask the question? And I'm sitting there, given the timeline, yes. Yes, I want this fully confirmed. Yeah. He should have have said it with an air of, do I even have to ask? Because it's clearly not mine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and um, Alexander is shown playing with some of the Star Trek, the, the Starfleet children, yeah. but he growls at them, which will be the last time Alexander is remotely aggressive or interesting or even slightly Klingon or anything but a whiny little bitch ever again. I am. Um, um, I was reading on uh, Memory Alpha because it was it was about a, a week and a half ago that I watched this episode, and apparently Worf immediately recognizes Alexander as his own son. Because he has the same uh, forehead ridges as Worf does, which made me think, wait, don't they all just have exactly the same forehead ridges? Uh, that's because I guess then, I'm and a, then you realise you've been racist. I'm a Klingon racist, yeah. <laughs> a classist? Yeah. Um, it's a work to be a Klingon racist. Kirk's one. Uh, so just as long as you work through that story arc, yeah. by the time the Kitamar Accords are going to be signed, otherwise you end up in a weird space prison. Yeah. And. Uh, um, but you do get to kick someone in the knee, and there's a funny joke about genitals. Yeah, and uh, get to hang out with, with bones. Yeah, yeah. Well, boy, thank. It, it, to be fair, if you're going to be put in prison with anybody else from the crew, I'd rather have bones with me because I'm going to need Spock to actually get me out of the prison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to need someone to tell to calm down. Yeah, it's like, Bones, can you come with me for moral support? Yeah. Well, can't I stay out here? No, I need mm-hmm. Scotty, specifically Scotty, Sulu, Chekhov, and Uhura. Everybody else on the, the crew of the Enterprise will be useful in our escape. Yeah, um, but if I get hurt, you'll be useful in here. <laughs> um, I, I was going to say, speaking of Cleons, this is the first appearance of... Oh, God, one of my all-time favourite Star Trek characters. This is the first appearance of fucking Crazy Eyes Gowron. <laughs> Chancellor Gowron. So. Um. Oh, talk about maximising your minutes. They, <laughs> He appears on screen and is instantly captivating. Because he's like, oh, Juris is here. The old, the, the plot is the old, um, the old head of the Klingons is dying. I... Um, he's been poisoned. Uh, he wants Picard to deal with the c- ceremonial rites of succession and yeah. stuff, and also work out who murdered him. Yes, because uh, of because he, he gets poisoned, uh, and yeah. uh, poison is a coward's weapon. Yeah, so I like a I like an invisible spaceship, which is of course incredibly brave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But they're investigating who's the murderer, and Kalo is investigating why Worf allowed himself to be dishonoured. Aye. Uh, and there's also some talk about like why she did tell him she had a kid, because Worf would have insisted that they get married, and um, she doesn't want to get tied down, or some shit. 
<laughs> yeah, good, a good guy, Worf. Um, but because uh, then the, the kid would have inherited Worf's dis- dishonor, discommunication, yeah. Yeah. And he might one day want to grow up in Klingon society, which is not allowed. <laughs> and also not fun. Uh, it's like, oh no, I would have taken my son in and he would have had to live with I mean I do like the fact that this episode ends and Worf's response to fatherhood is to go well now your mother's dead uh, I'm the only person to look after you so obviously I'm shipping you the fuck away uh, yeah <laughs> yeah he goes to live with Worf's uh, parents right yeah in Russia yeah um, this is the only time in history that being sent to live in Russia has been presented as the better option <laughs> <laughs> I, I I mean I, I mean Federation times Russia is probably pretty pretty okay, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's that's fine. Yeah. Apart from all the Klingons yeah. running about. Yeah, I mean Earth's essentially a paradise. Yeah, is what we're led to believe. Yeah, but but probably also the place where they would be most accepting of a Klingon. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I don't know about that, man. I I think this this kid's got it made. This is why but, he turns into a whiny little bitch. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think his parents were like, "Oh, we raised Wolf to be too much of a burly, uh, disagreeable bastard. Let's let's overly coddle this child." Yeah, um, yeah. To make sure that doesn't happen, uh, Alexander will be back in later series. He becomes a season regular. Um, oh, that's annoying. Un- yeah, unfortunately, um, uh, and unfortunately, not a season regular in Deep Space Nine. Yeah, although he does end up in a couple of episodes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's yeah. Does Worf have Does Worf have any other kids? Uh, not that we know of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I also, unlike Riker, I I do think Kayla, I I think Kayla is the only person Worf canonically bangs right in, in deep in Star Trek, not in Deep Space Nine. He he Jadzia. gets around a, a Jadzia As, and doesn't he, and doesn't he go out with Diana for a while? Oh yeah, he does go out with Diana okay. for a while. Yeah, so Diana. Jadzia and then Esri Dax as well. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but Gowron, <laughs> he doesn't take Gowron. No, he doesn't take Gowron. No, but Gowron's in this episode, and I <laughs> fucking love Gowron because Juris has got like a history behind him. Like we know this guy. Yeah, he's a famous bastard. Yeah, yeah, we we're expecting it. He turns up. He gets all in Worf's face about his dishonor, even though he's only dishonored to protect the Jurises. Yeah, and all of that shit. What a prick, um, Gow. Gowron turns up and is mentioned by name and then he appears on screen standing between his two bodyguards and is instantly the most interesting person in the episode. Yeah. Because Gowron looks like a... Gowron looks like he's desperate to stab you immediately. Yeah. <laughs> I I wonder, right? Because there's... I, I think he tells the story himself is Michael Gorn. Michael Gorn? Michael Dorn. Uh, Michael Gorn is another guy. Uh, yeah, Michael Gorn is in uh, original series. He fights uh, Kirk and uh, yeah. those rocks. <laughs> yeah, he's a big lizard guy. It's actually really difficult for him to get roles. He was trying to break into the romantic comedy uh, stuff, but, but just couldn't... Could, could, could quit. The, 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 the problem was uh, he was gay. And uh, at the time, <laughs> uh, the world just wasn't ready for a, a man-on-lizard relationship. Um, um, but the, the, the difficulty isn't that he's a big lizard because there are roles for lizards in Hollywood. Yeah. The difficulty is that he looks unrealistic. Yeah, um, that was his issue. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. 
That's uh, <laughs> so. That's uh, so. Gowron, uh, Michael Dorn, when he got the the gig, uh, apparently he he tells the story that he uh, wanted it quite badly, so he showed up for the audition, didn't speak to any of the actors, went in completely in character, super focused, head down, went in, done the audition, didn't say please or thank you or anything, and then, and then just left, and he, and he got the role. Uh, because Worf is quite... like He's, he's actually fairly, fairly chilled out as, as Klingons go, and I like to think that he did the rest of the supporting cast a favour because it means that now the way to make waves as a Klingon is to come in and turn it up to 27 <laughs> on, a, on a 10 point scale um, and uh, yeah Gowron yeah. certainly played, played played by a man called Brendan O'Reilly oh White, uh, really? yeah 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 big uh, time yeah because uh, Tony Tony Todd came in and turned it up um, yeah and yeah. and obviously the, the famous Klingon you know you've, you've got your Christopher Lloyd's uh, and you're uh, it, it, uh, what do you call him, Christopher Plummer? Yeah, who was barely a Klingon. <laughs> yeah, he was playing that very much the way he'd play like a, a cinematic Nazi. Yeah, right? and, uh, and, I, and I like the way he was like, "I'm not really interested in the forehead makeup, just the brown face, please." <laughs> that was okay back in the back in the eighties when uh, Bernard Manning was cutting about China. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> but but I so Gowron is is amazing and it's also great that like from the get go he kind of owes being Chancellor to Picard yeah because what so what happens in this episode is is Kayla works out why Worf's been dishonored um, Juris finds out that she's worked that out and he kills her yeah which is apparently down that's Michael Dorn's fault. Yeah. Um, he was asked directly as an actor by the writers, what do you think would make Worf angry enough to just go and straight up murder a bitch? Yeah. And he said, oh, if somebody killed Kayla. So they did Ooh, that. Ooh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, so he, he, he does. He yeah. goes up and murders Juris. So Juris can't be Chancellor. So Gowron gets in. Yeah. Which is probably long term good for Worf's chance of getting his honour back. Yeah, yeah, but I also quite like the fact that as a security <laughs> chief on board the Enterprise, his job is specifically to to not let people get killed. And and um, and underneath that, one B um, <laughs> is specifically do not kill anyone yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless they are attempting to kill other people, it's like the laws of robotics. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so if uh, so, yeah, so if so it's actually really complicated if Worf, if they're on the Enterprise and, and a car drives into a lake, and there's, <laughs> and, there's and there's two people in it, uh, Worf has to whip out his handbook to figure out what to do. Yeah, and if ever Worf's encountered by an encounters an evil Worf, Aye. which happens from time to time in Star Trek, um, that's just even more complicated. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> that's it. Because one one uh, C. <laughs> is uh, no suicide not allowed even even no. multi-dimensional suicide no yeah. specifically if, if Worf wants to kill himself he has to get Riker to do it uh, yeah. that's but um, what I mean like, I, and I do like the fact that Picard is, is so annoyed that Worf murdered someone that um, 
uh, it puts a reprimand yeah. in his file. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. What is that look like? Was... <laughs> well, I don't like Worf's service record is probably just lists of medals he's won yeah. for like incredibly great service. And then just a side note, did did murder a bitch. <laughs> um, I'd like to think that uh, Picard, obviously, we know is a great practical joker. Um, so I like to think that his reprimands on people's uh, records are just that picture of him like covering his face. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> with just the meme text of like, ah, he actually killed someone. <laughs> yeah, killed Juras for no reason except for lots of reasons. And 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 incidentally as well, like doesn't like there is an investigation. Like he doesn't even. It's like Wolf does it. It's not even Wolf kills someone, gets in trouble. There's an investigation. Wolf kills someone. And then takes the murder weapon back to his quarters, where he displays it in pride of place. <laughs> fun, fun fact: uh, this episode is the first ever appearance of the Batleth. Oh, I fucking love the Batleth. What a useless weapon! <laughs> so much more likely to hurt yourself. I I I, I like the Batleth in that I. It's not. It's a good sci-fi weapon in that one. It's completely plausible like it doesn't require any weird technology it's not like the the sound blasters from dune or the, the lightsaber it's entirely it's just a bit of metal in a different shape and i think it's a plausible shape Aye. like like it, it's like that i could see why you have decided that is functional i mean it's not as functional as just a sword um but that's why no one on earth ever invented one <laughs> Uh, and we were we were well keen on stabbing people up. Like, oh yeah, 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 super duper. We've done it for a long time. Yeah. So, do you reckon it started? Do you reckon it was like just two axes on a pole? And somebody was like, "Oh, if you had a sword in the middle, it." I look. It's um, as as we all know, uh, rule number one of Klingon engineering is just the question: Can an extra sword go on this? <laughs> The Klingons have the coolest weapons in Star Trek, I think. Because, like, the Romulans have, like, their, their disruptors look like a gun, at least. Whereas the phasers look like a remote. Yeah. Um, they do, they don't even look comfortable. Like, I, I really hate the, you know, like, the, the smaller phaser. Not quite the hand phaser. I don't like that either. But the really small kind of pocket phaser that we see in quite a lot in seasons one and two. And it looks like a DVD remote. I yeah. I I I hate that for various reasons, right? Because obviously it's a precise weapon, so you want to be able to aim it. And like guns are designed that way, so that your hand can naturally sit at a place where your eye line can meet the the sights. Um, yeah. But you can't do that with a remote. Yeah, Bullshit. it's a it's a thing where they tried to science fiction something up. Yeah, and not taken into account that it's like, well, no, that's the results of 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 like hundreds of years of progress yeah like that that design works it's a simple point and click interface mm-hmm. um yeah and i just don't i even so even when starfleet later on get like the phaser rifle versions that's not that cool no that doesn't look that cool whereas the the klingons have like a laser gun they've got the bat left and then they've got that little knife that's got the little prongs that stick out when you hit a button oh i like uh, the i like the the, the, <laughs> the button knife yeah 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 yeah, that's that's really my favourite. If if you're gonna go for it, it's not my favourite knife with a button. Uh, that's a real knife that Russian 
special forces had in the space nads where if you press the button a gas canister in the handle fired the blade (laughs) 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 which is utterly useless yeah unless someone's pointing a gun at you and you haven't got a gun and they go i'll drop the knife and then you press a button and stab them (laughs) yeah exactly yeah or um it's it's a bit like a bee isn't it and a bee's only got one option in a fight and that's to 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 take its own life by stinging you um (laughs) Yeah. Don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> how, Russian how Spetsnaz agents are a lot like bumblebees. <laughs> I don't think the knife. It would it, only be a lot like bumblebees if the the blade of the knife was tied to their innards. So when they fired it, it yanked all them out and murdered someone. But I don't know if that'd be efficient. Uh, hmm. You, but yeah, it, maybe you but, could convince them that that's a good weapon. I wouldn't put it past them because there was wasn't there there was a Nazi the, 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 sorry during World War Two uh, on the the, the the Russian front there was a group of like Russian soldiers who were forced to fight and they could only afford enough for one of them to have bullets so, like it'd be every other person had bullets and every other person had a gun mm-hmm. and the idea was that you were supposed to run in when the other person that you were paired with got shot <laughs> and you <laughs> would be fully armed yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've always uh, wished I had the ability to uh, spray my blood uh, at people uh, defensively, like an octopus does. Yeah, like a, a squid ink. Yeah, squid. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if octopuses do it also, or if it's just squids. But if I could get out of dangerous situations by just holding my hand up to a person's face and then just a bunch of blood comes out and it freaks them out, I'd, I'd have that. But then I guess at the same time, it would be, um, if everyone had that, it, it wouldn't be as scary. No, no. But, essentially, it would just be the the, the 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 same as pissing on someone, and I, I'd I'd never do that to get out of a fight. <laughs> the ability to spray your blood at someone as a defensive method isn't isn't something that you wouldn't see in the X Men, but I'd need I'd need the I'd need the uh, that to be handled by a really good writer to convince yeah. me that it was a worthwhile. <laughs> there's a there's a lizard that does it. It, Is it does it out of its eyes. Fucking yeah! Is it called the fuck you lizard? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the heavy metal Who? lizard. Yeah, no. It just if it gets upset, it just cries blood, uh, pressurized blood at you. That's that's that'll do it. Yeah, I'll leave that alone. Yeah, <laughs> I don't care how much bigger I am than a lizard. Um, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not messing. If you can shoot blood out your eyes at me, yeah, I'll I'll leave you be. Yeah. <laughs> there's honestly there's quite a lot of uh, lizard defense mechanisms that um i think human beings could really take on board if we could chop off a limb and throw it at an attacker and then have it just regrow back over the next couple of days i'd i'd be into that uh, there are, i'm gonna say as well there are a lot of cool things lizards can do and the gorn are not michael doing half of them michael gorn there's <laughs> No, I'm in the modern the modern Gorn. He's 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 yesterday's news. Um, <laughs> he's <laughs> now I want a black and white like version of like all about Eve, where the fading starlight starlet is 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 just the Gorn in the <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen? Um, I think I've talked about this on this podcast before, but have you ever seen the Pete Davidson SNL sketch, the the, the black and white one about him being a washed up future version of himself still doing like the club circuit (laughs) so it's amazing right it's fantastic Uh, I think it's one of my favourite sketches but the the very specific reason for it is that um, 
it, it was pre-filmed for an episode that Paul Rudd was hosting. Uh, it was actually when he was going to get his five appearance host jacket. Um, but unfortunately, uh, some of the cast members tested positive for COVID. Uh, so right. on the Saturday morning, so they, <laughs> they had to fucking send everyone home who wasn't already... Sent everyone home who was already there. So half the cast had to go home. Um, and it was only the people who weren't there that they got to bring in. So there was no audience, right? Um, right. It was super weird. It's actually really cool because the weekend update section is done by Tina Fey and Michael Shea. Um, <laughs> but because there's no audience there, there's only the, the only audience there are like Paul Rudd, Tom Hanks, who was coming to give Paul Rudd the jacket, um, and like a bunch of random crew members. So basically, it's a weekend update where Tina Fey and Michael Shea just sort of do bits. Um, it's really good. It, it almost kind of looks like a workshop, which is really fun. But the best thing about it is that that sketch with Pete Davidson is like a five-minute long sketch, and it's kind of tragic. Um, and because <laughs> there's no audience there to provide it with a laugh track, um, it, it, it's, it looks like this pure avant-garde <laughs> French movie. <laughs> It's amazing, uh, <laughs> Pete. Pete Davidson. If you if you don't like Pete Davidson because of like you don't like you don't like him on SNL, you are you are missing out. Pete Davidson is genuinely amazing. His stand up bit about Louis C.K. trying to get him fired, <laughs> yeah, <is> fucking <laughs> astonishing. Um, yeah, it's one like of the most greats Louis... of SNL for sure. I, yeah. I love Pete. Yeah, yeah. I mean, have you watched the uh, I'm Just Pete? video yeah so speaking of which we haven't spoken about that look okay maybe this year best supporting actor is a less competitive field than uh best actress but you know what if you're not going to nominate margot robbie for barbie don't nominate ryan gosling for ken (laughs) it looks really fucking bad (laughs) it's kind of what the movie was about yeah uh yeah kind of yeah 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 (laughs) Uh, my, I'm really um, conflicted about the Oscars because, uh, you know, I, I'm a big believer in progressivism and I, and I like the idea that people from marginalised groups, like, it should be celebrated when they do well and when they win things. And Lily Gladstone was great, I think, in Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, but then I saw Poor Things um, and I was like, oh, Emma Stone... D- deserves this. She is incredible, and if Lily Gladstone gets it, I'm actually going to be kind of disappointed. <laughs> because yeah. uh, in any any movie that lasted sixteen and a half hours, uh, the two things she did uh, exclusively were be sad and be ill. Yeah. Whereas, uh, I, you no, can I get it, right? Say- Killers of the Flower Moon. It's not a laugh a minute fucking romp, right? <laughs> but yeah. So, so, how do you, did you you liked poor things? Loved it, absolutely uh, loved it. I thought it was great. I only have like one minor criticism, which is I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that little extra bit where she goes off with the ex husband at the end adds anything. Like that's not been a plot point through the movie that she's gonna be like get back with her ex husband. That doesn't work for oh, me. right, okay, right. And, and it adds like 25 minutes onto the movie that doesn't really need to be there because you've already kind of reached the end of the character arc for the character. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, that's other than that. Uh, I, but I, I will say it, it's, it definitely falls into that category of I would rather watch something, a mo- even if that movie was an abject failure, which it wasn't, yeah. I would rather watch somebody fail to tr- do something interesting yeah. than succeed at something boring. Um, yeah. 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 It's, it's, I got very Edward Scissorhands vibes from it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like I said this to to Emma at the time. It feels like the kind of movie that Tim Burton would make if Tim Burton was still interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said that yeah. to me as well, and I agree. Oh, okay. I wasn't. I wasn't there. I was listening from the yeah. from the bins. Yeah, I don't remember anything I say or do. Uh, uh, really, Klingons. <laughs> Klingons. Uh, more of them. Uh, so Picard has to. Well, they call sort of I love mediate. Yeah, the Klingon election, which in Klingon style is literally they have to stand there and and uh, rattle off all their various victories. Although bizarrely, we are told that oh, that's like an archaic thing, and they don't really do that anymore. Yeah, because it takes too long. What fucking when they... what fucking Klingons <laughs> do you know who aren't like <laughs> like you know if if somebody said to me, "Hey Mark, can you rattle off just little stories about every open mic night you've ever done?" I'd be like, "Yeah, fuck yeah, strap in." Like, if you're... <laughs> If you if you're willing to listen, I'm willing to tell you. It's it's a running joke. I don't know if it gets established in Deep Space in this or if it's in Deep Space Nine, but it's a running joke that like Klingon opera runs for like four days. Yeah. Um. So like the Klingons aren't against a bit of fucking Pomp. like something that runs long and pomp and circumstance. Yeah. So yeah, it seems weird. But I do like the fact that Picard's called upon. Okay. Yeah, he's called upon by Kim Peck because he wants somebody to work out who's murdering him and Picard's been in front of the Klingons because of everything with Worf and he kind of like respects him yeah and there's there's the element of also I think that by definition if you're the captain of the Starfleet flagship and the Star Starfleet isn't a warlike race but has consistently shown themselves to beat the sh- be able to kick fuck out Klingons like that gives you a level to it but he's mainly called upon because he's a if, if his skills as a diplomat, which like, I think is interesting, because yeah, um, the thing about I can't really remember. I I think they they confirm this sort of yes or no in the the undiscovered country, but the idea of of Kirk being a war hero to the Klingons that's just Kirk making that up, right? For the Kobayashi Maru, they, they, they do they do the Klingons really consider him a war hero? Um, I think that he's been involved in enough run-ins with the Klingons and always got the better of them. Yeah, that they respect him on that front. Yeah, because um, they because they they seem to because Picard is probably up there. Like, yeah. you know, diplomacy is a type of war. I would say that the list of that's what they carve into the outside of the UN headquarters <laughs> in uh, New York City. The Oh man, I need to. Talk, I'll talk to you about the UN headquarters. Uh, I've been reading the book. Right? All right, okay. Um, um, but um, yeah, the thing is, I think it's very. I I can't say who they respect more, but the Klingons respect three very specific Starfleet Starship, Starfleet captains in very different ways. I think, and those are Kirk as like an adversary, Picard as a diplomat, and then they. It's like Cisco because they end up he's like the liaison to the Klingons yeah. for the Dominion War, so right. that's a specific thing. Like he's like very good friends with General Martok 
and they, they're mates with Gowron and stuff like that. Yeah. So, uh, I, yeah, I think it's it's very interesting. That I don't suppose if you if you set up a species as being like warlike and believing in the honor of battle, and then you have them lose every battle with your main characters in your first season of Star Trek, you've basically got nowhere to go with that as a character as a thing other than yeah. it would turn into a, a begrudging respect. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I wonder how they feel about the Vulcans. That's my big question. Um, I imagine <laughs> they probably quite like Spock. Uh, who wouldn't? Spock's great. Um, yeah. And he does seem like a bit of a cunning warrior. Yeah. I, I like the fact... I, think that the, I would love to think that the Vulcans completely fought... Like, the Romulans... Like, sorry, the, when the Wolf, when the Klingons first met the um, the Vulcans, they were like, oh, these are guys are saps. And they got into a fight with them. And yeah. they realised that the average Vulcan is like like ten times stronger than the human. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just knocked them out. <laughs> yeah, and they fight to the death in divorce court. Even the Klingons don't do that, yeah. Klingon divorce yeah. proceedings are actually very uh, very fair. They, yeah. they have they have quite a robust separation system, yeah. Yeah, yeah, as we we will weirdly learn a lot more about the Klingon legal system as soon as as, as soon as Quark has to get involved in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can't wait. I, I I I like the fact that the term Okay, this is this is actually not in any way cool, but I like the fact that one of the worst insults a Klingon can throw at another Klingon is just either Ferengi or Romulan. <laughs> yeah. Because that's the big thing, is that the bomb that there's a bomb that goes off in this episode. Oh, that's right, yeah. And it's it's its timer was of Rom- Romulan design, so it's definitely Duras. Yeah. Um because he's he's mates with the Because he's a sneaky Romulan bastard. He's a yeah, sneaky Romulan bastard. Um and I, I do like the fact that Star Trek, as a series, has very much like gone. Oh no! Like whatever you hear, like about a race, you hear these broad generalizations. They're just that individuals from the race might be different. It might be charming. We meet a lot of Klingons who don't fit the Klingon mold. We meet a lot of Ferengis who don't meet the, fit the Ferengi mold. But all Romulans are cunts. <laughs> <laughs> it's like no, no, no. That that is that that is true. Yeah. <laughs> It would be weird um, if they went to Romulus and found out that the Romulans are actually really good at Bali or something, wouldn't it? <laughs> I, 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 this is something I've always wondered about. Is like the Cardassians is a fascist culture, yeah. which would imply that maybe like you wouldn't think they'd have like a much much of the arts, but then you think that like actually the Nazis were obsessed with art, but it was specifically their own. Like they loved. Wagner and shit like that. Yeah, and it all kind of felt a little bit propaganda. I say a little bit. It felt mainly <laughs> propaganda esque. Yeah, um, but you know, at the end of the day, not to equate ourselves with a third right, but isn't that technically what we do? Like, are well, all our movies propaganda for our own values? Well, my thing with the, my question with the the Cardat like the Cardassians is like they're a fascist state that has complete control of a full planet. And then you get into the question of like, well, if the Nazis had like one, what does Nazi art look like after twenty years when you don't really have to propagandize anymore? Uh, Starship Troopers is, <laughs> is the answer. It's like that's what that movie is. Paul Verhoeven's working on a new film. <laughs> Shut up, really? 
yeah, he is. That's what prompted Jay and uh, Rich of uh, Red Letter Media to do a review of Showgirls. Oh, I've not watched that yet. Oh, it's good. I'm interested. <laughs> I've, never, I've never seen Showgirls. No, uh, they discuss it. They're, one of the best lines is Rich Evans going, if you want subtlety, Paul Verhoeven isn't your man. He treats <laughs> he treats sex in this movie the way he treated violence in Robocop. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I genuinely great episode of Star Trek. This, yeah. Well, I really, 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 really liked it. It's got a lot, lot of moving parts that all make sense. I always welcome hearing more about the Klingon admin bureaucracy system. Yeah, I, I, I will never get tired of that. You, you could, you could make every episode like why, why? I mean, technically, we did see a Klingon courtroom drama the last yeah. time, but I want more of that. It's it's when you get into like things like you meet like a Klingon lawyer or yeah. you have like it goes oh oh somebody mentions that their family were farmers it's like what the fuck yeah. does that look like in your on honor and combat based society which because it's like that thing of like like I, it, the only thing you can really compare it to I suppose is like maybe the Japanese feudal system yeah where your average farmer didn't get treated well but with the added but I suppose the thing about Klingon society is you can just start murdering your way to the top and people will respect the hell out of you. Yeah. So why would anybody farm? When Where does the food come from, Mark? When, <laughs> God willing, someone lets us loose on our own Star Trek episodes, uh, <laughs> I think I'm going to introduce uh, a Klingon comedy writer. Um, I'm going to get Dan Harmon to play Klingon Dan Harmon. <laughs> and just and just have him cutting about just saying things and Worf is just pissing himself at everything he says but none of it makes any sense <laughs> he's got some very funny material on the difference between Romulans and Vulcans because uh, yeah. apparently Vulcans drive like this but Romulans <laughs> no, see I think that's the easy way to go I I, I, th- I think Worf should be like oh this is a uh, this is Khamon, and he wrote a super subversive Klingon sitcom about Klingon Community College, uh, <laughs> which had a lot of... Uh, it, it, basically, it was kind of based around uh, tropes of other sitcoms, but it stood on kind of its own as like a sort of meta-commentary on itself, which was kind of a, kind of a weird thing. Um, and then uh, we never see any of it, or we, or we see like a 30-second clip of it. Uh, the the well, it's we see a thirty second clip, which is just mentioning Worf's favorite joke, where um, they okay, it, they they said one section of the prayer of Kalis um, yeah. in each episode from four different seasons, and when they say the fourth one, you see Kalis walk past in the background. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So- <laughs> <laughs> they did an episode where all the disruptors shot paintballs, and the <laughs> and the funny thing about the episode is that no one died. <laughs> Really subversive stuff, honestly. The, the, the guy should be canonised. I've wanted to for for quite a while now. Um, is um, I've wanted to basically the next time Critical Role, whenever Critical Role come over to the UK, they do um, Comic Con yeah. down in London, and obviously it entirely fills up with Dungeons and Dragons nerds. And I've wanted to for some time when they're doing this try and book the events room at the pub opposite to right. run a comedy night that is entirely 
Dungeons and Dragons in character comedy. Yeah. Um, where, oh, oh, like, you know, where people come up on stage and you go, oh, where all, where all the clerics sitting at? Yeah. I just need to know where you guys are sitting for when the barbarians beat me up for making the jokes about them. Oh, I'm just kidding. The barbarians won't get them. Yeah. Um, or something like that. Um, and I think that would be so much fun to set a bunch of comedic comedy writers in a room and just go, right, you are Klingons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Work out what Klingon stand-up comedy is. Um, we, no. Way, way, way back in the day. Um, again, I think I've said this, but Josh Weller and I came up with an idea for a bit uh, where we would show up to a comedy night, both in full next-gen Starfleet uniforms, but only one of us would be on the bill. And that one... <laughs> And that one would get up on stage and uh, just do jokes from the perspective of being someone on the Enterprise at like ten forwards open mic night, uh, and, it, and it'd be shit like, um, "Here's a here's a joke for the Beta Zeds in the audience," <laughs> and it just the person in the audience would just crack up. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, never... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was his. I can't. I can't remember what my joke was. Um, it probably probably got on some rant about how the holiday can't possibly work that way. I think that was what was my contribution. But uh, yeah. Well, but no. But now now it can. Hollow floor. Yeah, hollow uh, floor. Yeah, we can get that. Hollow floor exists. Yeah. Um, that's. It's it's weird that that's one of the most important inventions needed to get Star Trek. I mean, the warp core. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, but we're not getting one of them anytime soon. No. But we can get a little movie floor. Yeah. So, and I can't believe that this whole time I've been sitting here going, well, the only part of the holodeck we can't really figure out is the floor. <laughs> and then it turns out that because you can't get a treadmill to run in all the directions at once, then it turns out you just put a load of balls on the floor. And that's not not to the, the great Imagineer whose name escapes me, I can't remember it, but he's he's a phenomenal inventor. He um he invented uh he, I think he's the first Disney Imagineer to win some kind of invention award since Walt Disney himself. Uh, oh, right. So I don't want to discredit him by just saying that his idea is a bunch of balls on the floor, but essentially that's what it is. Uh, well, that's how, that's how it works. I've had Genius. a lot of respect for the Imagineers ever since I watched... Have you ever watched that guy's uh, The Last Lecture? No. Um so this is a, there was an American university that had a series of talks called The Last Lecture. And it was basically, if this was going to be the last lecture you could ever give, what would you give your lecture about? Oh, and this one, that's and, But no, it gets crazier. So one of the guys was like, well, that's an interesting question because I have a terminal brain tumour. Oh, shit. Um, so I'd like to do it. Uh, and he gives it, and it's um, he talks about his his three dreams that he had as a child, and one is to become a rocket scientist, and he worked at NASA. One is to become a Disney Imagineer, which he did, um, and he was one of the first people to write. Uh, uh, he was yeah, he was one of the first people to write a published scientific paper right. about what he was doing at Disney, which was virtual reality. Um, stuff as, and so it's, that's mind blowing. And then his his third thing was be Captain Kirk. Um, <laughs> and as part of that, he was like, "So I can't be Captain Kirk." So I changed that one. Yeah. Uh, and I met Captain Kirk. Um, and he's um, and then that uh, that um, that lecture went viral. Yeah. And off the back of that, 
he's one of the Starfleet ca- Academy captains on the um like the disciplinary oh, uh, right. council when uh, Kirk gets brought in in the Kelvin timeline. Oh, clever. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it, I like that. Yeah. That's yeah, a wonderful uh, beautiful story. Now if I uh, was writing that story, <laughs> I would go through the I want to be a rocket scientist and then talk about my time at NASA and I wanted to be a Disney engineer and that was it and uh, you know fill everyone like oh my god you you know you like the idea of you can put any you can do anything you put your mind to isn't really true in the in the real world but but i think it is important to show that there are people whose dreams will come true so who knows man it might happen for you you might as well put the work in because you know you only get one life and and and, that, and that's it and your dreams might come true and then i would have said and then I would have, if i was him i'd have been like and obviously i have this horrible terminal illness uh, so my uh, third dream, and then behind them, uh, uh, something rises up with just a velvet sheet over it. He goes, "My third dream is to not die." And then he pulls, <laughs> he, he, he pulls pulls the sheet off, and there's just a chamber that looks like a like an elevator uh, that he steps in, <laughs> and he goes, and he and, he, and then there's and, a, he, and he quantum leaps. No, no, there's a, no, there's a fanfare, right? And this is this is what I would do because I. I think the import. I think quite an important job of people who are much smarter than we are is to fuck with us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I would. But have you given, just described the entire plot of the movie, The Prestige. Yeah, I, I, I would have given no explanation for how this thing works. Right, I would have had, it, had, had lots of buttons and maybe a couple of people in lab coats pressing buttons and looking at clipboards, and then he steps into the elevator enclosure. Right. And uh, one of the scientist friends licks it, <laughs> presses a big red button, and immediately just this giant hydraulic press just woof right, and absolutely crushes him into paste. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because then, because you you know that Schrodinger's cat at that point, you you can't prove that guy isn't still alive. <laughs> well. I mean, I get why you're saying that, but I, but I, I, I don't think these kids would have approved. <laughs> no, I, no, because, <laughs> no, right, because the crusher would have come down and, and mashed them, right? And then I, I would have gotten all the scientists around it who are pressing all the buttons for people to be like, "Oh my god, what have you done? You've crushed them!" And they've turned around and went, "No, that that's exactly how it's supposed to work. <laughs> that's exactly what he wanted. <laughs> these are his designs." <laughs> <laughs> And on that note, <laughs> good episode. Yeah, great episode. Great, 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 great episode. Unfortunately, did introduce Alexandra, Alexander, but does introduce Garon, so I can't be mad. Yeah, because Garon's fun. Yeah. Um, right. But well, thanks for listening. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Bye. Bye. The Captain's Slog is performed by Mark O'Neill and Eddie Edwards. You can follow both of them on Twitter and Instagram. Mark's at RealMarkO'Neill and Eddie is at Ed Edwards Comedy. If you like the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and now on YouTube at Captain's Slog. And we have a Facebook page as well. Or if you really like what we do here, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Captain Slog. <laughs>